Well, we continue in our journey through the book of Matthew. We've been in the past couple of weeks in the in chapter 14. Periodically, it's good to remember what Matthew is writing. What are the key points? What what is he trying to to say in writing this this gospel message, this gospel book? Well, first, as a as a disciple of Jesus, Matthew knows what it means to be a follower of Christ. He's writing to these these early believers, helping them to understand that, I mean, following Christ is going to cost something. It has, it's going to, it's going to have great sacrifice. It's going to require an effective faith. Can't be a, a follower of Christ and, and sit on the sidelines. See, the kingdom of God is made up of disciples who are sold out for the glory of Christ. Sold out. They've given their lives. Disciples willing to take courageous leaps of faith. We'll see that play out in our story today, particularly in, in Peter's life. Another thing that Matthew is, is doing, see, he was a disciple himself of Jesus. And he had, he had the opportunity to see firsthand that, that Jesus was truly the Messiah. And so he's writing this, he's writing this gospel to, for these early believers to see that this isn't just a man. This is truly the Messiah, the one that the Old Testament had been prophesying toward. This is the, the true king. He is, he is the son of God. See, these, the disciples, it, it takes them a while to get it. We see hints along the, the way that they're beginning to understand who Jesus really is. And we'll see in our passage this morning how it ends with the disciples worshiping Jesus as the Son of God. So humble worship, effective faith. So I've titled our message, Effective Faith, Humble Worship, looking in Matthew chapter 14. Let's read this together. We're going to begin in verse 22. And read through verse 33. If you have your pew Bible in front of you, it's, it's on page 820. Again, Matthew 14, beginning in verse 22. Are you listening? <laughs> God said. All right. If anything goes crazy, we've got some guys in the back that'll come in here and wave us down. Y'all know how to duck and cover? All right. All right. Verse 22, he says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was, was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he, or Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart or take courage. It is I. 
do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you out on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Fathers, this is a great story. We come this morning to just to open our hearts to what you have for us. We pray, God, I pray, God, you would teach us what it means to be a follower of Christ. What does it look like? What is Matthew trying to get us to, to see and to take hold of in this, in this passage? It's not just a story. There's more here. So, God, may your spirit have his work in us convicting and challenging, motivating, encouraging us by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage can be divided into, I think, four sections. I'm calling them four different experiences that you have there outlined in your worship guide. And I believe there's some really some key lessons that we can learn from this. And as we walk through this, I'll say, hey, here's a lesson. Write this one down. First is this solitary experience. <clears throat> solitary experience. This is verse 22 through 23. See, Jesus had been ministering in the region of Galilee. Now, again, you have Judah down in the south. Then you have Samaria. And you, then you have Galilee up in, in the north. And so you have right, in, right there on the edge of Galilee is the Sea of Galilee. And on the west side, Jesus had been to Nazareth. You remember at the end of chapter 13, he, he was sharing in his hometown and they didn't receive him. He couldn't do anything there. And so he and his disciples left and they went, um, they went east. Nazareth is about, um, 17, 18 miles, uh, from the Sea of Galilee. And so they make their way to the sea and, and head up north. And now we don't know exactly where the feeding of the 5,000, it's kind of disputed. Some think it's on the, on the west side of, of the Sea of Galilee, northwest side. <clears throat> and others think that he crossed over the Jordan, which comes into the, into the very north tip of, of the Sea of Galilee, that somehow he crossed over there and found a desolate place and the crowds found out. Now there's debate. It really doesn't affect the story, but somewhere on the northern shore of the, Gal- of the Sea of Galilee, he fed 5,000, more than 5,000 people. And then a- after he had finished feeding the 5,000, Jesus makes his disciples get into a boat and journey out toward their destination. See, the force, the force behind this verb phrase, he made his disciples get into the boat. It's a command. It indicates that Probably the disciples, they were a little bit hesitant about leaving Jesus with the crowd. They wanted to be him, but Jesus said, no, get in the boat. Guys, get in the boat and go. Go to the next destination. 
some of the other gospel writers give us some insight into what Jesus' intent was. John 6.15 tells us that the crowds were wanting to make Jesus king. It says, perceiving that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. See, it's in the spring. It's it's around Passover, and so everybody's kind of making their way down to Jerusalem, and probably this group of 5,000, a lot of them were already on that journey going down to Jerusalem. And what a better time. And here's, here's Jesus. Here's this miracle worker. He's our king. Let's take him to Jerusalem and crown him the king of the Jews. Well, see, becoming an earthly king was, was not a part of God's plan. So Jesus, he sends his disciples out on the boat and then he comes to the crowd and he, he diffuses their intention. He dismisses them to go back to their homes or go back to the, to the town and stay in the inns on their journey. Mark tells us in his writing that, that they were wanting to get some rest. Remember Jesus and the disciples, they were, they were trying to get to a, a desolate place, a quiet place away from the crowds. Mark says that their days were so busy ministering to the people that they didn't even have leisure time to eat. I mean, just constantly on the go. Matthew makes it very clear that Jesus' desire for solitude was not just about diffusing the crowds or, or rest, but rather Jesus was looking to get alone with his father. He wanted to pray. Verse 23 says, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. He didn't go to sleep. He didn't go to just get away and take a respite. He didn't just dismiss the crowds and, whoa, okay, took care of that one. He wanted to spend time alone with God in prayer. Even in verse 24, he, he, he brings this by emphasizing this aloneness. He said, when evening came, he was there alone. So he went up onto this mountain <coughs> on the northern west bank or even on the right. There's some, there's mountains that go up and you can go up there. It's very desolate. You can look out, you can see all of the Sea of Galilee, at least all the way across to the shoreline. Jesus is up there, he's alone, and he's gone there to pray, to be in solitude. The other gospel writers show us that this was common practice for Jesus throughout his ministry. Luke 5, verse 15 and 16, listen to this. It says, but, but now even more, the report about him went Abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Mark, Mark 1, verse 35 says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. As I thought about this passage this week, I've become more and more convinced that we really neglect the discipline of solitude. Our lives are busy. We have our phones and we're, we're just constantly on the, on the go. Think about this. Now, if, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to get alone to spend time with his Father, how much more do you and I need to get alone and spend time with God? 
In his book, The Imitation of Christ, Thomas Kempis, he writes about solitude. Listen to this. He says, in quiet and silence, the faithful soul makes progress. The hidden meanings of the scripture become clear and the eyes weep with devotion. Henry Norwin writes about solitude in his book, Making All Things New. He says, listen to this quote, from all that I said about our worried, overfilled lives, it is clear that we are usually surrounded by so much outer noise that it's hard to truly hear our God when he's speaking to us. We've often become deaf, unable to know when God calls us and unable to understand in which direction he calls us. And there's some great books if you, and I would encourage you to spend some time with books that speak of the spiritual disciplines. Don Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. Richard Foster, The Celebration of Discipline. And then Dallas Willard, The the Spirit of the Disciplines. And all of these have a a chapter on solitude or sometimes they'll combine them, solitude and, and silence. It's something that we need. You and I need times of solitude. If Jesus needed times of solitude, you and I need to get away, turn off our phones and, and hear God. John Whitney gives some great reasons for believers to practice solitude. And the first thing he says, we need to follow Jesus's example. We need to hear the voice of God better. We we do it to express worship to God, to express faith in God, to seek the salvation of God, to be physically and spiritually restored, to regain a spiritual perspective, to seek the will of God and to to learn to control the tongue. I mean, if we wrap all those things, I'm like, wow, I need that. So let me give you just a couple of quick, just simple steps for solitude. I did this this week. I mean, just look for, I mean, short snippets throughout the week, a, a minute. I mean, you, you, um, wives, it's, it's busy. If you have children, moms, you have children, and maybe young ones, it, it's hard to find a, a, a quick moment or a moment of, of silence or rest, but with the Lord. Maybe, maybe during nap time, just, just quick, just to, just to get away and, and spend a few moments just in quiet solitude thinking about God, listening to the voice of the Lord. We can do it in work, just to, and maybe it's a break time. Just get away and, and, and you have your word on your phone and just, just meditate on the scripture for a short few minutes. Or maybe find a, a specific time each day where it's quiet. Maybe early in the morning you rise and you go to a place. There's no phone. The kids, no one's up yet. And it's just you and the Lord and his word. Maybe get along, uh, get away for longer periods of, of time. Find a, find a way to have three or four hours just to, to, like Jesus, to go up on a mountain somewhere, go, go to a, a park, find some, some, some place that you can go. Maybe it is in the, in the yard or, or even a room there in the house. And you just, just be alone with, with the Father. I think, again, as husbands, I think we need to help our wives in this. I mean, they're busy and maybe it's, uh, you know, maybe it's some night we say, hey, honey, let's plan on this night. I'm, I've got the kids. Why don't you get away and six o'clock, I'll bring supper in 
and at six o'clock you go and don't come back until nine and just, just go be with the Lord. Take your scripture, take your journal and just spend time in solitude. Find a quiet place. Turn off all your medias and especially this thing right here. No, no more Facebook and Twitter. You gotta, gotta get away from that. Have your Bible and a journal handy and just pray. Meditate upon scripture, maybe just one psalm or a, a verse that this captured your heart that week and just read it over and over and let it soak and marinate into your heart. Read through longer passages of scripture. Maybe just sit and be silent and, and listen. Journal your thoughts, experience. We need solitude. It's a spiritual discipline. And I think Matthew is recording this. All of these gospel writers are, re- are showing us that this was important to Jesus. As a follower of Christ, effective faith is lived out by this discipline of solitude. So lesson one, lesson one, get alone with God. Get alone with God. It will refresh your soul. So let's look at, we had a solitary experience. Let's look at a terrifying experience. It's there in verse 24 through 27. Jesus sends his disciples out on the boat as evening was upon them. Back in that day, uh, the, the night or the evening was broken out into four watches of three hours each, so it, which began at 6 o'clock. First. So from 6 until 9 o'clock was the first watch. Six, 6 to 9 p.m., and then 9 to 12, midnight, midnight to 3, and then 3 to 6 in the morning. So Jesus is sending them out somewhere in that first watch. Night is beginning to, to fall upon them. They're going to travel across the sea to their next destination. It should take a couple of hours to get there, but then you see here this passage tell us, tells us this strong wind had come against them. It's right coming right at their at the head of the boat as they're as they're rowing. What should have taken maybe two max three hours, they had been on this boat six, seven, eight hours. It's now into the fourth watch of the night, somewhere between three and six a.m. They had been rowing all night. They're physically exhausted, desperately needing rest. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in this early morning or late evening, this fourth watch, they see the figure of a man walking toward them. The only problem is they're, they're out in the middle of the sea. I mean, they're, they're, one of the other gospel writers says that they're about three or four miles out from the shore. Normally they would, they would kind of stay along the shoreline, but the winds had driven them out into the, into the middle of the sea. And there's wind and, and waves and, and they, and probably one of the disciples is like, look, I think I see a figure. Now this, I love this story. This, I'll have to, I'll have to admit here, I like scary movies. This has, this has all the makings of a scary movie. Okay, these guys are, they're rowing along. And then all of a sudden, one of them looks out and he goes, man, I think I, I think I see somebody. And he's, he's like out in the, he's out in the ocean. He's, or in the sea here and he's walking toward us. And the guys are like, come on now. You're just tired. 
keep rowing. We got to get to the, we got to get to the shore. And then, so they're just going and they're pulling along. And then another one says, wait a minute, I think he's right. I see him too. And they're like, oh my goodness, he's walking on the water. They're thinking this is a, the scripture says a ghost. But what they're thinking is this is a dead man come to life and he's coming to get us. I mean, you can hear them. Huh? He, he, he's, 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 he's alive. He's, ah! I mean, they're screaming. They're, they're, I mean, they're like, he's got claws. He's got fangs. We're doomed. Now, it's not quite like that. But when you see this word, they were scared. They were terrified. It is, it is, I mean, they, to the bones, they were shaking in their bones. They were fearing for their lives. <laughs> he's coming to get us in the middle of their screams. Jesus cries out. He says, take heart. Some of your translations say, take courage. Don't be afraid. Then he says something profound. Most of your translations have Jesus saying, it is I. Take courage. Don't be afraid. It is I. What's incredible, this you go back to the original language in this, in this phrase, it is I. And there's two words, ego, amy. Ego means I, amy means is what's well, the verb form to, for to be. What Jesus is saying, he says, don't fear, I am. It's the same words that, that Moses, remember when he saw the burning bush and he's there and it's like, oh my goodness, what's, and, and who, who should I tell them is sending me? And, and God says, I am that I am. I am the all sufficient one. The God of creation, the, the, the covenant God, Jehovah, Yahweh, I am. Jesus says to his disciples, take heart. Don't be afraid. I am Jesus. He's claiming that he, just like his father, is the great I am. He's the all sufficient one. He's the maker of all things. He's the, he's sovereignly orchestrating everything that's taking place. In a sense, Jesus is saying, don't fear because, you know, I, I formed this sea and this wind that's coming against you. I'm the one that, 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 that tells it to blow and it blows. Jesus, the great I am. See, I'm, I'm the one that not only did I create the sea and these winds, I even defy the principles I've put in place like gravity and buoyancy. See, look, I can walk on this water. You don't have anything to fear because I am. These two simple words, Jesus is claiming to be more than just a man. He's, he's the essence of his father. He's the Lord of all things and is sovereignly Sovereignly sufficient in, in all circumstances. And this is a great truth for you and me today. It's in all of the storms of life that we face. And when the winds are coming hard against us, sometimes they, they, they may be physical in nature, like a bad report from a doctor. Other times they're emotional or financial or even spiritual. In those times, realize that Jesus Jesus is our all-sufficient one in the loss of a loved one, a spouse. Jesus is all-sufficient. 
He meets your needs perfectly. We have no need to fear or be afraid. Jesus is more than enough. He's all that we need. He's Lord of all. Lesson two, know Jesus as Lord of all. In every circumstances, know Jesus as Lord of all. The great I am. We've seen a solitary experience or a terrifying experience. Look at a courageous experience there. Let's read in verse 28 again. Peter answered him, Lord, if, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got in the boat, the wind ceased. Matthew's the only gospel writer. This, this account is mentioned three times, three other or two other gospels. And Matthew's the only one that mentions this story of Peter getting out of the, of the boat. He's showing us, I think, again, what a true disciple looks like. So upon recognizing that it was Jesus, Peter calls out and says, Hey, if it's you, I see it's you, would you command me to come out and come to you? Jesus gives him the green light and says, Come, this command, come. And realize the, the wind is still howling. It's, it's pressing against the wind. The, the, the waves are, are, are rocking along. Peter shows, I mean, incredible courage. He hears the voice of his master and he trusts him fully. He jumps out of the boat and instead of making a big splash, what happens? He lands, he sticks it. Wouldn't you love to have seen that? Maybe he did a, like a somersault and boom, right there. It's like he just landed on dry land and he walks in the water and makes his way to Jesus. And you've got to admire Peter. He had a bodacious audacity. I've always wanted to use that phrase in a, in a sermon. Write that one down. Look it up. Bodacious audacity. I mean, this guy had boldness and courage that, like, man, I, I want to be like that guy. <laughs> I wish I could jump out of the boat like that. But I tell you, if, if we're not careful, we'll miss something that's obvious here. Think about this. What are the rest of the disciples doing? Where are they during this? As he jumps out, lands, and walks toward Jesus. That's right. I mean, they're, they're hanging out in the boat. They're watching it. They're just sitting there watching all this. Now think about this for a minute. The disciples, they had just witnessed the day before Jesus feeding 5,000. They took a, a couple of loaves and fish and he multiplied them and fed thousands of people. Over these years, they had, they had seen him turn water into wine. They, they, they saw him cleanse a leper, cure a, a Roman centurion's servant. They saw him in a very similar time while they were in the boat, they saw him Calm, completely calm a storm by saying the words, be still. And when he said it, the waves just stopped and it was like glass. 
He made the lame to walk. He made the blind to see. He cast out demons. He healed a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years and had had exhausted her resources. And with one touch, she was healed instantly. And Jesus, this Jesus had even raised a young girl from the dead. And now he's walking on the water toward them and tells Peter, come. And they watch Peter land on the surface of the water and walk toward Jesus. And they're still in the boat. I'm trying to put myself there. I'm thinking, I think if I'm in the boat and I see that happen, and I'm going, hey, Jesus, can I come too? You know what I'm saying? I want to do that. I want to walk towards you. I want to, I want to be courageous like Peter. I know he's, 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 he's got a little more oomph than, than the rest of us, but I want to be like that. Can I, is it all right? Can I come? Say the word, Jesus, and I want to come. Surely I'd have enough courage to jump. How about you? I would think there would be at least one of these disciples following suit. But none of them. They just stay in the boat. You know, I, I really think our churches, and I'm not talking just UBC, but I think our churches are filled with folks who just are hanging out in the boat. I've seen in my own life, there's times I'm just hanging in the boat, just hanging out in the boat. I'm just sitting and soaking. We're just watching and waiting. I think Matthew, I think when he's writing this, he's, there's a lesson here. I think lesson number three is jump out of the boat. Get out of the boat. I don't know what he's calling you to do, but I know that as a disciple of Jesus, it's going to require boldness. It's going to, it's going to take some audacity and bodaciousness. <laughs> it's going to take courage. It may be a financial risk. There's, there's some of you here today holding too tightly onto your finances. You have no idea what it means to give cheerfully to the church. There may be some in here today never even given to the church. Why not test the Lord? Jump out of the boat. See if he will not open the heavens with blessing. Others... Others of you, watch your friends jump out of the boat and go on missions, both locally and globally. Now I realize God doesn't call all of us to go on missions. Sometimes a person can't physically do it. There's other reasons. But I know that there are many others that need to get out of the boat, jump out of the boat and go on mission. This week, you'll receive something in the mail that will outline all of our mission trips for the rest of the year. I'll just encourage, read through that, pray through that. Go in solitude and just think about it. Spend some time in solitude. Read the Great Commission, end of Matthew, when he says, go and make disciples of all the nations and see, and, and just listen for his voice. And if he, if he says, go, I want you to go, then jump out of the boat. Some of you have listened to us talk a lot about adoption and foster care. We've seen we saw beautiful examples of that here this morning. Did you know this month, May, the month of May, is Foster Care Awareness Month? 
most counties in our state, including Washington County, is currently in what's called a state of crisis. You know, in our state, we have about 25, sometimes more, uh, children that need to be placed in foster care, 25 every day, and we don't have homes to, to fill them. In Washington County, we have about 70 homes, and there's almost like 200 children that need placed. This past week, there were children that needed homes, and there were no homes, and they had to sleep in the DHS office. Now, again, I know he doesn't call, he doesn't call us all to foster care, but I know he's calling more than, than there are. Soon we'll be in the next, in the next couple of months, be watching, we'll be hosting the call here at our church. It's a training to prepare you and get you equipped, get you in the process of, of, of fostering or standing alongside. Sometimes it may be just offering relief to those fostering parents. There's ways for us to be involved and we, we need to get out of the boat. Cole mentioned last week in his message, the great need on the U of A campus, 26 thousand students, probably tens of thousands of students who need to hear the message of Christ. Who's going to do it? Why not us, University Baptist Church? Let's get out of the boat and let's, let's go. Let's, let's share the good news of Jesus. Go to Mark and say, how can I, how can I be out of the, be a part of this? I want to jump out of the boat. Cole, tell me what are some ways that I can engage? We have 1,800, 1,800 international students from 112 countries that would love to be in American home, love to come hang out, eat a meal, and have conversation with you. It's, but we, 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 that's for somebody else. And so we sit and soak, we wait and watch while others are out there walking on the water toward Christ. They've heard his voice come and we just are hanging in the boat. Why not today jump out of the boat? In UBC, we have incredible need. Our children's ministry, youth ministry, college ministry, our second mile ministry, we need volunteers. We, for our outreach to Grandview, bus drivers, prayer ministry. Oh, jump out of the boat. Today we're, we're celebrating our U of A graduates and you're heading off into new adventures. And as a disciple, as a disciple of Christ, Jesus is going to call you to some bold and courageous things for his glory. And when you hear his voice, don't just hang out. Jump out of the boat. He is the great I am. You will stick the landing and then just walk toward Jesus. Jump out of the boat. So Peter walks to Jesus, but soon he he begins to realize the effects of the wind all around him. Fear begins to grip his heart, and he begins to sink. Afraid for his life, he, he cries out to Jesus, save me, save me. I like this. Jesus had a couple of options here. He could have um, just let him go down and said, Peter, come on now. I'm, I'm the great, I mean, what is this? You have little faith? Why did you doubt? Why are you afraid? Swim back to the boat. He doesn't do that. Or he, probably what I would have done, I would have come up to Peter and I would have grabbed him and I, I would have pulled him up about halfway. 
And then I'd have kind of just kind of played with him a little bit, you know, slap him around, let the winds slap him and, you know, look out, sharks coming, and, you know, just kind of hold him there. Um, no, that's not what Jesus would do either. What does he do? He takes a hold of him, pulls him up. It says that they walk back to the boat. So, he, I mean, he takes him out of the water. He's standing there again. And he's looking at him in, you know, eye to eye now. He says, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And Jesus, he's not scolding him here. He's just drawing his attention really to the issue of faith. And you had, you had inc- incredible, effective, courageous faith. You, you leaped out of the boat and then you were coming toward me. And just as you approached, you, you took your eyes off me and you, you began looking at your surroundings and you, and, and, and you, you began to sink. I think he's saying here, lesson four, keep, keep your eyes on Jesus. Faith, a courageous faith is going to, is going to require you to focus in on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews, I, I love the way he says it. He says that we're, we run this race with endurance, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I like the way the, the NIV says it. He says, fixing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. See, effective faith is lived out in courageous and bold, bold obedience with our eyes held firm upon Christ. And even, even when we fall, we are human. We, we fight this battle with flesh and spirit. And, and so, and we're weak, but Again, he's, he doesn't scold us. There'll be times when the, when it, we're just overwhelmed and fear does come upon us. But Jesus is there and he, he will pick us up. We have nothing to fear. You know, when the storms of life around, around you bring in a little bit of this fear, trust in him. Let him, let him hold you. I was, with um, Dale and Norma Eastburn this uh, this weekend, went in. I don't know if there, you guys are here anywhere. Dale's still in the in the hospital. It just got news a couple of weeks ago. He has stage four uh, lung cancer. So you sit down to the doctor and they talk through everything. And you know, if you don't do anything, you've got a year. If you you know, if you do some things, you might have. It's just overwhelming. I mean, it's just overwhelming. Goes in immediately. Has a surgery. And it looks, it feels like, I'm sure, the, the waves are just beating. They're just, the wind is blowing. Jesus says, take courage. Take courage. Fear not. I am. And as you jump out of the boat and you're walking to him, fix your eyes upon him. Say him, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth, the storms, the winds, they'll grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Keep your eyes on Jesus. In closing, let's look at this divine experience. So Peter and Jesus, so they walk and they, they get into the boat. And it's amazing. I can just see this as they, they, 
step over one into the next. You know, probably Jesus is there and he, he you know, he's, he's, he's got his arm around Peter and they're walking there and Peter gets in and then Jesus steps in and he brings in his other foot and puts it down and it's like the winds are, they just stop. I mean, they just stop. That there's a divine moment. There's a divine experience about to take place. Verse 33, and those in the boat worshiped him saying, Truly, you're the son of God. This is really profound. These disciples, they, they bow in worship, recognizing that Jesus is God's son. They get it. He's not just a man. He's, he's not just somebody who does these miracles. No, he's, he's God's son. He's not an earthly king. He's the king of kings. He's the son of God. He's the great I am. Their only rightful response is to bow in worship. Lesson five, respond to Christ with humble worship. Follower of Christ, don't let a day go by that you don't recognize the, the power, the grace the work and the love of Christ in your life. When you rise up in the morning, I mean, praise him, worship him, give thanks to him. When you see his hand throughout the day, worship him. You lie down at night looking back at the goodness and faithfulness of a great God. When you contemplate the, the work that he has done for us on the cross and realize that we are free, we are, we are his sons and daughters, we are united with Christ, we have become heirs, worship him, humbly worship the Son of God. In a minute, our, uh, our worship team is going to come and we're going to sing this song, Jesus, Son of God. And when we get to the course, listen to this. On the altar of our praise, let there be no higher name, Jesus, Son of God. You lay down your perfect life. You are the sacrifice, Jesus, Son of God. Let's sing it. Let's worship him, our King. So, we see in the story today an effective faith and an humble worship. Faith and worship that should mark our lives. It, sh- it shouldn't be extraordinary. It should, we, we ought to be able to give testimony of, of water walking all, all the time. Seeing Christ make himself powerfully known and and what that does in us and through us for his glory. Remember the lessons of this story. Get alone with God. This week, would you get alone with God? Know Jesus as Lord of all. He is the great I am. There's nothing to fear. Jump out of the boat. Jump out of the boat. I don't know, I can't tell you what that means for you. But we need more water walkers. 
jump out of the boat and see if you won't just stick that landing. Keep your eyes on Jesus and then respond to Christ with humble worship. In a minute, as we sing, the altar is open. We'll have our elders here. Maybe you want to just come and pray. Maybe you want to come and just say, God, I'm ready to jump out of the boat. Let's, let's use this time. Let's give it to him. God, I, I, I thank you for this passage. The challenges, the lessons that we can learn. God, thank you for for, for Peter and, and a boldness and a courage to, to live out effective faith. God, and how we can see that and go, I, I need to do that. I need to jump out of the boat more often. God, forgive us for hanging out in the boat, for sitting and soaking, for waiting and watching. God, we want to respond. We want to do what you're doing. We want to be involved in the things that you're involved in. We want to be passionate and actively engaged with our faith in the things that you are calling us to. And God, I pray you would deepen our worship, realizing all of who you are, the great I am, the Son of God, Jesus, Son of God, the one who laid down his perfect life, incredible sacrifice. God, even now we come to worship you. We love you. Praise you. We are yours. We are your disciples. By your spirit, help us. In Jesus' name.